0: Turn our Bibles now to Hebrews chapter four as we continue our exposition in Hebrews. We'll read from Hebrews chapter four verse fourteen unto chapter five verse ten. Hebrews four fourteen to verse chapter five verse ten. Thus says the word of God. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, For that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, But that he that say unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard In that he feared, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all that obey him. Call of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This for the reading of God's infallible word. Let's come now before the Lord. Our text this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 10. As we'll continue our exposition through the book of Hebrews. But before we begin, let's come before the Lord once again and ask for His blessings. Let's pray. O Lord, our God Almighty, we come before Thy throne, Lord, before the throne of the King, to kiss the Son, Lord, and submission unto thee, Lord. To recognize that thou art the King of kings and the Lord of Lords, and to seek refuge in thee, O Lord God Almighty. We seek, Lord, thy throne of grace through our only mediator, Jesus Christ, the author of our eternal salvation. And it is in his name, in Jesus' name, that we pray. Amen. What is a mediator? Well, a mediator is someone who goes between, right? It is a go-between two parties. In modern, modern society, is often associated with fights or disputes between these two opposite parties who have a, a struggle between them. They cannot come in agreement, so this mediator has to come between them. Mediation is often associated with negotiation in our days. Have you seen in a movie or perhaps even in real life? when there is a robbery going on with hostages perhaps, and the police surrounds the place, but the bad guy refuses to surrender, and then they have to call someone. They call a mediator, a negotiator, or someone who is an expert to mediate between the police and the robbers in this case. Well, in order for sinners to come before God some kind of mediation had to take place. The priests in the Old Testament, they mediated by sacrifice and intercession on behalf of Israel. So how the priests did this? Daniel Hyde commented this, mediation is not a negotiation, but a dramatic intervention on our behalf by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, with his father and this is where the illustration breaks different than a mother mediation there's no negotiation before the Lord God Almighty see there was a price that had to be paid and then Jesus Christ as the perfect mediator comes to intercede to bridge these two opposite parties and he pays the price in full We saw that Jesus is superior than the angels, better than Moses and Joshua. Now the the author starts a main section in the book of Hebrews, arguing that Christ's priesthood is better than the Levitical priesthood. He will talk about this theme from chapter 4 until chapter 10. This is the main section in the book. But the author is not making these affirmations simply as an abstract doctrine. It's not just about head knowledge. He's using them as the basis for his exhortation. He's urging us to do something. The indicatives here serve as ground for the imperatives. And he gives us the imperative to come to this high priest. And then he gives the qualifications of the high priest. And to meditate on this text. We'll divide our text into four points. First, a call to come to the high priest, verses fourteen to sixteen of chapter four. Second, the function, the function of the high priest, verse one and verses nine and ten of chapter five. Then third, the solidarity of the high priest, verses two and three and seven and eight. And fourth. The appointment of the high priest, verses 4 to 6. So first, let's consider a call to come to the high priest. The opening of of, of this section is a little different than the opening of the other sections that the author has done before. In verses 14 to 16, why does the application come before the explanation? see he he already starts with an imperative with a a command for us. the author seems to be flipping the natural order that he has been doing until until right now. It is an invitation to come to him it's not a meaningless order but he's bringing us before the throne of grace verse fourteen seeing then Therefore, after all that we have heard, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Now the call. Let us hold fast our profession. We finish the last section seeing how Joshua led the people to the promised land. While well, they marched to that land, and the priests were guiding the people to the land, carrying the Ark of the Covenant. They were leading the way into the promised land. The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, leading the way. And in likewise, Jesus, as the great high priest, leads the way into the final rest in heaven. In light of this glorious reality, the author calls us to hold fast, our profession we must embrace we must apprehend we must grasp hold fast to our confession to the faith that we have professed in Jesus in other words hang on to Jesus hold fast to this high priest the things that you know or that are true about Christ do not abandon them even in times of trials and afflictions hold fast to Jesus. The authors say that we have a high priest in verse 15 and then in verse 16 he, say, he starts in the negative. We do not have a high priest which cannot be touched. That is, we do have a high priest that can be touched. And the expression that he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities speaks of both compassion and empathy that Jesus had with our pains, but also of his ability to help those who are afflicted. He understands. He has empathy and compassion for our afflictions, and he is able to help. Jesus experienced all types of sufferings. He experienced loneliness and betrayal. He was misunderstood and misrepresented. He was provoked and mocked. He also experienced afflictions that we don't even know nowadays, especially not here in America. He experienced hunger and thirst. He was physically tortured. And finally, he experienced something that no Christian will ever experience. On that cross, he experienced being abandoned by God. So you can never say that Jesus doesn't get the suffering that you are going through. He gets it. Suffering, weakness, temptation, whatever we face, Jesus is able to relate. This is why we can come to him. This is one of his credentials, why we can come to him. Because he gets it. He understands. But although he identifies with us, there is something that distinguishes him. From us. The end of verse 15. Yet without sin. Yet without sin. The reason that he had to be pure is so that his righteousness could become our righteousness. He could not have sin in order to atone for our sins. Philip Hughes commented what we and they that is the old testament people needed was not a fellow loser but a winner not one who shares our defeat but one who is able to lead us to victory to victory not a sinner but a savior it's precisely because he is just like us but not totally without sin that he's able to become our savior not a fellow sinner like the, others, the other priests. It is because he was success, successful that we must hold fast to our profession. And because he was successful, we are allowed to come into his presence. Verse, verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There are two types of confidence, the right type and the wrong type of confidence. The wrong confidence is simply self-confidence, in which you think you can stand before God in your own, that you have it all, that you can come into the presence of God in your own. Perhaps you think that you have done more good than evil, and somehow this will be enough to work out in the end but that is not true that is the wrong type of confidence and then there is the right kind of confidence in which you trust you trust in what jesus has done in what christ has done in your behalf and now you stand before god not on your account but on what on what he has done on his righteousness not yours And it is only this confidence that allows us to come boldly unto the throne of grace. We can go with confidence before God, knowing that our sins were dealt with in Jesus Christ, and we can enjoy His presence without fear. I recently saw a picture of President John F. Kennedy, together with his son, John Jr. was playing under the resolute desk in the Oval Office office in 1963. President Kennedy was working on that desk while John Jr. was playing on his dad's feet. And I I don't know much about the protocols of the White House, but I think it's safe to say that you cannot just walk in that room by yourself and even if by any remote chance you were invited into that room let's say you had a, an appointment with the president for whatever reason there are protocols to follow there are security measures that you need to follow certain guidance that you need to follow to be with the president so it's safe to say that you will never enjoy the same freedom and confidence that little John Jr. had as he was playing at his dad's footstool That is the picture that we have here. Jesus grants us access to the Father, to the Father's throne room, not as strangers, but as sons and daughters to come with boldness into His presence, with confidence to walk freely before Him, to come at His feet, To enter his throne room, to come into the presence of a God who is a consuming fire, to stand as sons and daughters. Doesn't this reality excite you to know that you can come to the Father's presence as a son and daughter freely? What a privilege! confidence of knowing that our sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ and we can stand before him into fellowship communion with him but for those who are here today and have not yet enjoyed this privilege there is no other way into God's presence but through Jesus Christ No other mediator who would give this type of confidence to come before Him. No other way but through Jesus. See, apart from Christ, God's throne is a throne of wrath. That is only His judgment and His wrath, His holiness that would consume you. But now, through Christ, through His mediation, His throne, his throne room becomes a place of grace that you can walk in with confidence. That is why, verse 16, we can find grace to help in time of need. In times of the greatest needs, we should know that we have access to God, we have access to the creator of the universe, to the God Almighty. And help is granted to his sons and daughters. He hears us as sons and daughters who plead before him. And he grants us help in the time of affliction. That is why he invites us to come to the Lord. Come to and through this high priest through the veil. The high priest of our souls, Jesus Christ. Come to and through him. But why do we come to Jesus and not to some other Old Testament priests? The next verses, the author will draw a comparison and gives us three points of why we have a better high priest in Jesus Christ. The Old Testament had qualifications for someone to be a high priest. Not everyone could be a priest. There were qualifications that had to be met for someone to be a high priest. And Jesus not only meets all these qualifications, but he far exceeds them. He is far greater, far superior than any other priest. These next three points are actually the qualifications of Jesus as the high priest. So first of all, the function of the high priest. Verse 1 starts saying that for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. In other words, a high priest had to be a man. It sounds rather obvious that a high priest had to be man. And this has to do with the very function of a high priest. They were the go between God and man one of the ones who would bridge this gap to come in between they were representatives of humanity before God for that reason they had to be human see, although angels were great they could not be these representatives for humanity and this point is very important because some at that time especially have doubted Jesus' humanity since he is the divine son of God, was he really human? That is why it's so important to be reminded of Jesus' humanity. Not only of his divinity, but also of his humanity. He not only had to be God to save us, but he had to be man to represent us before God. A priest represents men toward God. And what better representative could he be than one who is both God and man to come between these two parties. Now verses 9 and 10 are complements of verse 1. And being made perfect, being made perfect. Again, this doesn't mean that he wasn't already perfect. He was perfect without sin, but that he was made a perfect high priest. The one who was perfect to fulfill that office Jesus obtained his his status as the perfect high priest through suffering to become the perfect representative for us Christ's obedience in the face of suffering made him the ultimate high priest verse 9 as a result he became the author of eternal salvation unto all that obey him the fact that Jesus didn't fail is what gives us hope because he stayed sinless he could be made the perfect sacrifice by Christ's sinlessness we are able to come before him our iniquities fall upon him as his righteousness falls upon us and we can now come before God. He imputes his perfect obedience unto us. What we should have done in the first place and fail. He now succeeds and imputes, imputes to us. His perfect obedience. The function of a high priest was to be an intercessor between God and man. But the goal of this intercessory work was to atone for sins that was the ultimate goal and that is exactly what Christ did he accomplishes the core function of the high priestly office not from the line of Aaron but from the line of Melchizedek called directly by God as verse 10 says receiving then the title of the author of eternal salvation and the point that the author to the Hebrews is making here is not that there are these, these two lines of priesthood, the line of, of Aaron and the line of Melchizedek, and you can choose between the two. And he's recommending you, well, choose Jesus because he's slightly better. No. The point is that those Old, Old Testament priests never got the job done themselves. The ultimate purpose was never accomplished through that line through that priestly line and if you you think you can go back to them you will will end up with no intercessor whatsoever Christ's obedience suffering and death equipped him to be the perfect high priest after whom there is no other Jesus offers the sacrifice as the high priest and at the same time he is the sacrifice as the perfect lamb of God. And we should remember that as we come to the Lord's Supper next week. The bread and wine represents his sacrifice. But it is also because he is the high priest through the veil who presented this sacrifice that we are now welcome to this table the only way that we can be received back into the table of communion with God is because of His mediatorial work. The fact that we have a Lord's Supper and not a Passover celebration is a reminder that the final priest has come and has accomplished the final goal once and for all. And we don't need to wait for another priest to come. We don't need to repeat a sacrifice or to look forward to someone who would finally do it. No, now we look back and say, yes, the perfect high priest has come and he has offered the perfect sacrifice once and for all. So as we hear his words, as he calls his people to take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And likewise, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you, you drink it in remembrance of me. We do this in remembrance of Him because of no more sacrifices required. He fulfilled the work that no other high priest could do. He completed it. It's done. So now we remember what He has done once and for all. So as you prepare for the Lord's Supper, be reminded that it is the author of the eternal salvation who sets the table and invites us to come. He is the bread and the wine in that table. He is the host that welcomes us to that table. He is the priest who welcomes us into fellowship with god and he accomplishes this for his people because he has compassion for us he has compassion for us the solidarity of the high priest verse 2 and 3 show that the old testament priests were were very solidarity with fellow with other fellow humans for two simple reasons first because they suffer for this of the same problems And second, because they had to offer sacrifice for their own sins as well as for the sins of others. It's easy to have compassion for someone when you have the same sins that he has, when you are guilty of the same sin. A high priest identifies with the people because he carries the same transgression, the same infirmity. So he has to offer sacrifice also for his own sins. The Old Testament priest said, the author continues this topic in verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, again reminding us of the humanity of Jesus, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Verse 7 has an interesting focus on Jesus' affliction, on His crying. Not simply on His humiliation on the cross, but on His humiliation throughout His life, His dependence upon God. Christ being displayed as low, acquainted with our iniquities, with our infirmities. He's not made less than glorious by, being, by becoming low on the contrary by coming so low he becomes even more glorious even more fitting to be called a high priest he takes upon himself our nature to be made low in human form to be acquainted with our with our infirmities with our suffering, with our pains with our temptations to be made even more fitting as a perfect high priest. As the saying goes, the way down is the way up. And that was certainly true in Jesus' life. He had to endure humiliation in order to then come to glory. And up to this point, the author is not showing Christ as a unique high priest, he shows how his endurance of suffering is unlike any other, that is true. Nevertheless, he's showing Christ as acquainted with the suffering of his people for which he intercedes. But who else could be more qualified than him? Who suffered as he suffered in our behalf? This verse really parallels, really should call our attention to Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. When he prayed to the Father, when he prayed to the Father, that if it were possible, Luke 22, 45, if it were possible to pass this cup from me, nevertheless not my will but thine be done. And then it says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling, falling down to the ground. That is the intense affliction and suffering that Christ endured in those last hours. As the hour was come that he should face the cross in our behalf, our high priest was so acquainted with our sufferings that he was sweating blood. But He had so humble before the Father, not my will but thine be done the insight that the author to the Hebrews gives is that Jesus was heard in that prayer and was heard in that he feared at the end of verse 7 the answer that the father gave him is that he would not spare him from dying but that through death through death, not apart from death, but through death, he would obtain the ultimate victory. Yes, Jesus would be victorious in the end. Not apart from death, but through dying, becoming the perfect high priest. Jesus was heard, but he was not released from suffering in that he feared. He feared. And that he speaks of a reverent awe oh, in the presence of God. He points out that Jesus was willing to submit to God in whatever path God had reserved for him. So great obedience, so great humility before God. Jesus' obedience makes him not only a great example although he is the greatest example, but also atones for our disobedience. It's only because he was perfectly obedient to the Father that his obedience can become my obedience before the Father. Jesus submits to suffering. He was willing to take joyfully the hard path that God had for him. Jesus relates to us in that he takes our suffering. But the question is, do we relate to Jesus in obedience through suffering? Yes, it is true that he knows very well our suffering, and he came so low as it to relate to us in our suffering. But do we relate back to him in obedience? Are we willing to take the same path of obedience? God often teaches us through suffering. C.S. Lewis wrote, We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rose a death world Isn't that often the reality? That in our pleasures, sometimes it's as if we could but hear God whispering from afar. But through suffering, oh, then we hear God loud and clear, calling us back. In the midst of a world that has nothing to do with God, that doesn't want to hear His voice, He cries out, even if through judgment, if necessary, to call our attention. Wake up! Hear Him! And there are so many examples in the Bible about this. How First, God puts us in the school of the desert, as it was called. The school of pain, before using us. And tonight we will hear of one of these characters, Elijah. But the greatest example is Jesus himself, isn't it? He is the greatest example of enduring all the suffering to then accomplish God's purpose. Jesus was made like us in a greater sense than we often think. He was solidary in partaking in our suffering and he was perfectly obedient through it through all his suffering he was obedient even unto death verse 8 to say that the son learned obedience it doesn't mean that he was once disobedient to the father he was like us yet without sin as we saw but the focus is in Jesus' humanity on his solidarity to undergo the same process of obedience that we go through and this learning process occurred through suffering but even through suffering Jesus was able to trust and obey God throughout his life his whole life and following his example we ought to be perfected through suffering as well as well we ought to learn obedience because we indeed were once disobedient to the father even through suffering we must learn obedience remember that suffering is often God's pedagogy it is his megaphone to call us back to obedience to him it is his calling to wake up and obey his voice and turn back to him. It is the school of suffering that draws near to him in a life of obedience. But it wasn't enough for the priest to be able to do his function and to be compassionate. He had also to be appointed not enough to relate to us and to have compassion for us but he had to be appointed by God the appointment of the high priest verse 4 and no man taketh this honor unto himself but he that is called of God as was Aaron no one is self-ordained you wait humbly and God appoints you And our world today is all about self-affirmation. You are what you think you are or whatever you say you are. That's nonsense. You are what God appoints you to be. Certainly all officers are appointed by God. And maybe some of us would think, well, all all officers, but not Jesus, right? Right? Why would he have to be appointed? He was the son of God. Verses 5 and 6. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that say unto him, Thou art my son, to thee have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art. A priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It's quoting him, the well-known words from Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. Both messianic psalms dealing with Christ's kingship and with his priesthood. That he is a priest like no other. He is a priest king, just like Melchizedek. Not just a priest and not just a king, but a priest king who brings these two offs, offs together, the appointed priest-king. This is the first time that the book of Hebrews mentions Melchizedek. And this will be a very important figure in the book of Hebrews, as we'll see in the next chapters. But for now, it matters to show that Jesus was appointed, called into office, not from the line of Aaron, but as from the line of Melchizedek, he was not made an ordinary priest as the Levitical priests, but a priest king, a priest king, just as Melchizedek was. Christ was not a priest from the human line of Aaron, but someone called, apparently out of nowhere, to be a priest king. And we'll save this for chapter 7. But for now, the focus is on the similarities and contrasts with the Aaronic priesthood. This has many different applications for us. But I want to emphasize just two for now. First, it teaches us humility. The ultimate authority is not ours, we are not self appointed officers in the church. We are not, we don't have our authority on our own to do anything. The ultimate authority is not on us, but on God who appoints us. And second, this is very relevant as we prepare for the election of elders and deacons in the church as well. Remember that you are first and foremost appointed by God it's not about you it's about God this is why we have elections in the church we don't simply self-appoint people but we come in submission to God because God calls us and he appoints us through his church we don't have self-appointed elders or self-appointed deacons in the church not self-appointed pastors the Bible has qualifications for these men to be in office and they have to be appointed whatever the world wants to say about anybody can be an officer that's nonsense and it is anti-biblical no one comes to office apart from being appointed he has to meet the qualifications and he has to be appointed and if Christ exhibits that humility to be appointed even being the son of god how much more humility we ought to show if even the son of god have to be humble enough to be appointed how much more we need to be humble again for those who are in office and for those who will be elected into office in the church humble yourselves And remember, you don't you don't do this to your own glory, but to God's glory. And you don't do this according to your own authority and power, but by his authority and power. We can have many pastors, many deacons and elders in our church. But the the good news is that we have only one high priest that never changes. He will never cease or stop working in his office. As long as we are a faithful church, we have a high priest who will never retire from his office. And he will be forever interceding before the Father for us. Elders and deacons, pastors will pass away. Others will come. But the high priest stands the same forever. Christ will never retire. That is good news. As long as we are faithful, we are a faithful church before Him, we have the same high priest forever and ever. A high priest who is perfect despite our imperfections. A high priest who never changes. Humility is a mark for, for all officers in the church and for all God's people in general. Whatever we do, in, we do in humility as one who was appointed by God. We have the confidence that we are, whatever we do, we do because God has called us and we do so in humility. Because we do it not because we are good, but because God has equipped us and now we do it for his glory. The author has presented the qualifications for a high priest, and his conclusion is simple. Christ meets all the qualifications, and he is far superior than all others, than everything else. As John Owen says, he shows that whatever was useful or excellent in such a high priest was to be found in a better way in Jesus Christ, the only real and proper high priest of the church. And whatever was weak and lacking in a human high priest, on account of his weakness and sin, was totally absent in Jesus Christ. He has all the qualifications and none of the failures. Perfect high priest. Far superior. And perhaps our challenge today is not to realize that we need a better mediator, that we need a better option than the Old Testament priests, no. Or that we need a better priest than the Jewish or Catholic priests that are out there nowadays. But the challenge for us is to realize that we need a mediator altogether, that we do need a high priest. Our problem is that we don't think we need someone to be the mediator. To represent us before God. At this point, the Hebrews here, they were ahead of us. Because they already knew, they had the mentality that they needed someone to go between them. They needed a mediator. And it's easier to convince someone that you need a better mediator... Then to convince someone that you need a mediator altogether. We started by seeing how for us to approach God again, some sort of mediation had to take place. Well, different than modern mediators, there's no bargain taking place. And Christ comes to mediate between God and man, and the wrath of God is presented, is revealed upon humanity as our sins are naked before the eyes of God there is no bargain Christ had to pay the price in full and there is another difference modern mediators are neutral they are unbiased right? in order to mediate between these two opposite parties they have to be neutral but not Christ. See, we sin against Him. We sin against His law. He is the judge who we sin against and who will judge us. But even so, He became reconciliation for our sins. He is both the king that we sin against And the priest who brings us back to himself. See how it's so important for him to be the priest king. The one who has the authority to judge us, to take us back, who we sinned against. And the one who draws us back to him. Who reconciles us to him. Remember that as you prepare your hearts for the Lord's Supper next week. As we approach that table, he is the high priest who offers and is offered for us And that table. His mediation doesn't simply allow the, the bad guy to walk away freely, but brings us to restore fellowship with God he obtain something far greater than any other human mediator could ever obtain. He reconciles us to God to a state even superior than what we were before. Now we are made sons and daughters, and we come into fellowship. He prepares a table to receives us back in communion with him, to restore fellowship with God. He welcomes us into the presence of the Father because our sins are forgiven in Him. What a good news that He not only frees us, but He also invites us to come boldly before the throne of grace, to come to His table, to eat and drink. Because of this, He is the only one worthy to be called High Priest is the only one that can be called the author of the eternal salvation. Salvation is only through Him. The only way back to God's throne room is through the only mediator, Jesus Christ. What a good news that we have a high priest through the veil that is willing and inviting us to come to Him. And as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, let's be reminded, it's not, there is no only other way to God but through Him, the author of our perfect salvation. Amen. Let's pray to our God. O Lord God Almighty, O Lord King Jesus, O Lord, we come before thy throne, Lord. Into thy house, we enter into thy throne room. We come into Mount Zion, into the presence of angels. Before thy throne, before the God who is a consuming fire. Oh Lord, and we only do this because Jesus Christ is the perfect high priest through the veil, the author of salvation who invites us in. There's no other way to God but to, through Thee, Lord, through Christ. Oh Lord, break the hearts, break the stony hearts, Lord, of all, all those who seek other ways of salvation, but Jesus. And oh Lord, help us to enjoy this restored fellowship with thee. Help us to treasure this restored fellowship with God. And we can now come in thy presence, in thy table, saying that our sins are indeed forgiven in Jesus. And that we now can enjoy, Lord, being face to face, being in Thy presence. Oh, Lord, we don't take for granted all the privileges that we have. And we come in humility before Thee, submitting ourselves to the Son, bending the knee, kissing the Son in submission, Lord. Help us to live and die holding fast the profession of our faith, that Jesus Christ is the only Savior and our only comfort in life and death. And we pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen.